Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Welcome into Hour 2 of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin in studio now. And um, we have some news to talk about, Courtney, and also an article that you wrote about uh, traveling to Mike Zimmer's ranch. So we need to discuss that in a little bit. But we want to start with the news, but allow me to use finger quotes when I say news because it is being reported by Albert Breer that Laquan Treadwell, wait for it, is on the trading block. Tell me that you were shocked. Was ESPN calling you, your editors, everyone panicking? They're trying to get you on TV out from TCO Performance Center. Get Courtney on now. Laquan Treadwell is on the trading block. You know what I did when I saw that? I rolled my eyes, and I heard, they rolled so far into the back of my head, I actually heard them... Um do a circular motion because you know what this is the same story we have been hearing for the last two off seasons last year on cut down day as i reported um he was there was a trade that was in the works the new the in new the new england patriots were interested in trying to get some sort of compensation package worked out with the Minnesota Vikings that would send them and like Laquan, Laquan Treadwell i don't know exactly what they were trying to get back in return, the Vikings, that is, but it fell through. At other points last year, up to the trade deadline, Laquan was being shopped. This is this is not news. I know that, you know, certain certain people in this building talk and uh, that clearly Breer talks to the same person every single time because he brings up the same story every single time about Laquan Treadwell. Um, so congratulations. I guess that you have one scoop on one player that's uh, at all, all times. You own the Laquan Treadwell scoop. It's not news, though. They have been trying to shop him for years mm-hmm. because he's not good. What can you get for him at this point? Probably a seventh-round pick, just to be honest. Like, you know... A conditional pick, maybe thrown in there, but I was definitely, thinking conditional sixth. Yeah, like um, th- this is this is not news. I, I I don't consider this anything. In my opinion, though, as you and I have both talked, he's not on this team when we're looking at the fifty three on cut down day. Unless something drastically happens here, and the rest of the receiver depth is just awful uh, in the final three three preseason games. But Laquan Treadwell is not on this roster. And the reason being that they're trying to trade for him now is you, you wouldn't you don't want to have to pay all that dead money and you don't want to be on the hook for what is it one point one eight million of the guarantee that he's owed. You'd like somebody else to have to pick that up and you'd like a draft pick in return. Yeah, and we've si- seen absolutely no signs whatsoever during training camp that anything is different or better. In fact, it's been much worse than last year. Yeah. There was a case to be made last year for at least believing that it was in the realm of possibility. Going into the season last year, maybe there was a 20% chance that he had a good year because of how good he was in training camp, and he and Kirk Cousins legitimately found some chemistry in camp. But then as soon as they went into the season, he was lost out there again, and he had a yards per catch that would be reflective of about a fullback last year, and for a wide receiver, that's just unacceptable. And of course, the drop issues that he had uh, that everyone can point to, the fact that he literally cannot get open and does not have a 
discernible skill that you can even work with to put him in any type of role. So the only option that's left is to just try to get some sort of compensation for him. But if you're another team, it's not like he's put anything on tape that would be even slightly interesting to you. Well, the only thing that he's put on tape was that crackback block the other day in the Saints game that Mike Zimmer called him out for at halftime uh, in the TV interview saying, I showed the team this play last night. And what does he go do? He does. He has that crackback block, which I remember distinctly. The Ravens game, Week Seven, 2017. He did the exact same thing on special teams. On I uh, think it was on kickoff return, um, and it, and got like a serious twenty five thousand dollar penalty for it. I don't know how much he was fined for this last one, um, but it put them out of field goal range. Really upset Mike Zimmer. The, in in the way that these trades work, I mean, you're talking you're talking to people around the league. Like his reputation kind of stands for itself at this point. That it's a guy who just you know did not live up to any expectations. I know that we talk about a change of scenery and what it did for Cordero Patterson. I don't think it's going to be the same case here. Mm-hmm. What you see is what you get with Laquan Treadwell because Cordero had flashes here. Like he was good in flashes. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't used correctly, according to Mike Zimmer. And now that they saw how New England use him, how the Raiders use him a little bit, but um, curious to see what Chicago does with him. That is somebody that is a true example of just get him a change of scenery, get him with a new coordinator. Treadwell, to me, feels like we're going to be talking about this guy in the XFL uh, eventually. Yeah, considering that Cordell Patterson was a late first-round pick, it's you could almost say that he wasn't even a bust. I mean, that I mean he, he was 24th, wasn't he? Because Treadwell was 23. Yeah, that he um, was a 23. He contributed, Patterson contributed on kick returns, became one of the best of all time kick returning, had some moments in 2013, some moments in 2016. I'm not saying it wasn't in the bust category, but it was kind of more of gray area. Like, he did contribute to your team in some significant way. The guy scored touchdowns and made plays at times throughout his Minnesota Vikings career, and and like you said, they did not use him quite to his maximum ability. With Treadwell, they have given him far more opportunity than I think he even deserved. Even going into last year, we were talking about leading up. Are you really going to do this? Are you really going to run three wide receivers all the time with this guy as your number three? And they tried it throughout the season, and that was one of the main reasons that halfway through the year, every team went on third down and seven. Oh, yeah, we're doubling the two top receivers. We're going to make uh, Treadwell. Treadwell. And, and then... I mean, how much even more baffling is it that on a fourth down, Kirk Cousins against New Orleans targets him? And he did the same thing against New England. That's the thing I never never was able to understand last year. And I implicitly remember asking Kirk after the Green Bay game in Green Bay that they tied, where Treadwell had four drops, I believe it was. He had his first touchdown. Congratulations. Took him three years to get his first touchdown. And one of the drops went into someone else's hands on the Packers, right? Um, And I remember asking him, like, why did you keep going back to him? Like, I mean, I understand it's a confidence thing, um, and, and you want to believe in your players, but why did you keep going back to him? And even beyond that, so many times he kept targeting this guy mm-hmm. who is just shown he cannot, he cannot play this position at this level, at a very high level. Like, is he a good gunner? Sure. But he's a first congrats. round. Yeah, congrats. You're a first round pick and you're a gunner. Like, that's not, I mean, the Vikings look back at this, and I know that you and I have talked about this ad nauseum of answering people's questions. Well, why did they cut him? Why didn't they cut him? They've been trying to trade him for the last few years. You cannot cut him. Well, this is new. This is breaking news. This is breaking news, according to the person who reported it. Um, just shows you, okay, I'm not even going to go there. It, it um, is literally the like third a, or fourth time he's reported yes, that they're it, shopping Laquan Treadwell. Yes, like, congratulations. We know that you're talking to someone in the front office. It's like, just keep putting it out there. We're trying to trade Laquan. Yes, we know. I think all the other teams know by now. We know. And th- the thing that's just kind of irritating, I think, in, t- in talking about this, is that we know he's not very good. But teams are always going to try to trade him first before cutting him. Cutting him is the last resort because you want to save face. You don't want to look like you screwed up a draft pick. Um, And, yeah, there have been moments where they probably should have just cut their losses with Treadwell uh, beyond – you know, getting to this point because last year in camp he looked like he actually would be a really good red zone target for Kirk. I remember a lot of the red zone periods, Treadwell was the one that shined um, more so than even like Rudolph, which that kind of like was a new thing. I remember John D. Filippo was scheming him to to get around guys in the end zone and and be you know be that option for Kirk Cousins on a fade and. 
it never, ever came to fruition. Nope. Um, and I just think that you got to, I mean, to play devil's advocate here, I, you know, I feel for him in a, a little bit, just, you know, he has had the fall from grace of the century. Um, and he's handled it. He's handled it. He's never turned down media requests. He's always talked. I mean, sometimes the things that come out of his mouth make you go, hmm, like 100 catch season, Laquan. Okay. What planet are you on? Um, 100 catch season in the spring league? Maybe. Um, wow. But yeah, I mean, this to wrap up my point here. This is not news. This is something that they have been trying to do for years now. And I guarantee, you know, if they don't find some sort of trade partner before cutdown day, which I kind of highly doubt, they're shopping him. That is a fact. That's not news. That is not interesting. But they will. Like I do think they're going to cut him if they can't find a trade partner because it's a waste of a roster spot. Well, that that brings me to two questions. One of them is easier to answer. The other one is more complicated. The easy one is. So let's say that no one emerges here and no one is willing to give you a fifth, sixth round pick. Do you just keep them and not play them? I mean, the Vikings did that with Cordero Patterson. Aside from his kick returning for a whole year in 2015, they just didn't play him. Uh, And this this is a total aside here. Teddy Bridgewater that year didn't even have Cordero Patterson who could have helped him as a wide receiver because Norv Turner didn't want to play him. But anyway... Is that what's going to happen here if Dylan Mitchell or whoever else doesn't step up? Or will they just keep someone like Dylan Mitchell because they know he has a high ceiling, but he hasn't really stepped up yet? Well, if they cut Treadwell, and I don't have the figures in front of me, but it's something about, like, he still has a ton of guarantee, a ton, meaning you know, a little over a million, a good bit of guaranteed money left on his contract that he is guaranteed, meaning he gets it, meaning that they have no way around not paying him that money. If another team... If, they, if if he gets picked up by another team, regardless of the Vikings cut him or if they trade him, then that team incurs that. So that's the best case scenario for Minnesota. But and we've talked about this at points this camp. Like, man, is the receiver depth really this bad that it's just gonna you know Treadwell's gonna get another break and he's gonna get on this roster because everybody else is not good? Um, that's worst case scenario because that shows you that none of your draft picks have panned out. You know, you just don't have a lot of depth at the position. The free mm-hmm. agent acquisition and Jordan Taylor probably hasn't panned out. But I do think right now if they are gonna keep six receivers. Um, you know, you put Chad Beebe and and, and um, Ola B.C. Johnson onto that's four with Thielen and Diggs, and then you've got three weeks to find your next two. Um, Mike Zimmer likes Dylan Mitchell. He's talked about him at multiple points this year. It's just about figuring out, okay, can you break some of the bad habits you have on running mm-hmm. routes? Because you know the way that he learned at Oregon, the way he executed at Oregon is just not going to cut it here in the NFL. And then it's like, okay, what do you do with that last spot? Are you going to try to find a way to get Jeff Bidette on this roster? Is he your speed guy? Maybe. Um, do you, you know, Brandon Zilstra is an option too. I, I always forget to talk about him because he just hasn't done a whole ton. But they really liked him last year. He was kind of, you know, that I, maybe they had a quota they had to meet of CFL players every huh. year. But he was one that was, you know, he wasn't bad. He just was so raw because it's very different style of playing football up there than it is here. And he learned that, especially with special teams. But that's where when you ask Mike Zimmer about how much is special teams going to contribute to these guys, maybe spots five and six, like a Zilstra and a Bidette, maybe that's where they make the roster over a Treadwell. Well, you know, in uh, 2017, they kept Rodney Adams and Stacey Coley, neither of which were good players, but both had potential. So if they do that again and keep BC Johnson, who's done pretty well, and to me is number four right now, mm-hmm. and then they keep either... Bidette or Mitchell, depending on which one performs better, I would say that Mitchell has the higher ceiling as an all-around wide receiver, and Zilstra is someone who's good on special teams and could possibly be somewhat reliable when you throw him the football. I mean, no one could be worse than what Laquan did last year. If you look at by pro football focus or by the yards per target. He led the team in drops. He was literally one of the worst receivers in the entire NFL. I'm talking like bottom three. No, and that's fine. I mean, like, but when you think about those drops... Think about the Green Bay game in other key situations where he literally could not hold on to the ball. Like, that's the difference in points. And, and if, I'm a, if I'm Mike Zimmer, if I'm Rick Spielman, and I'm looking at the situation, why would you keep a liability? Sometimes it's like, that's why I remember writing in May, 
Here's the scenario for Laquan Treadwell, for all you people out there that think it's so easy to cut him right now. The the way that that looks to cut a first-round pick before he's gone into his fourth season are bad optics for this team. But at some point, you need to be like, optics be damned. He's a liability. What it, you know? If we could get somebody that's actually good onto our roster over him, we'll just cut our losses. You give him every chance. You've given him chances since 2016. Yeah. It's over. Um, and, and I don't have Jordan Taylor in this mix no, either. No, I don't either. He hasn't done a thing. Uh, Maybe he'll do something in the next few weeks, but to me, I just, I, I'm kind of disappointed in that one. So here's the other question on Laquan. I mean, whose fault is this? Is this the Minnesota Vikings' fault? Because when I go back and research it, most of the draft Knicks had the right criticisms of him, the things that didn't work out, that everything went the wrong way, that he wasn't fast enough, he wasn't going to be able to separate. Um, it's very hard to tell in college whether when you play those kind of Ole Miss offense that's spread out and you just throw yeah. the guy, whether he's going to be able to run a nine-yard route when it's a nine-yard route, right? And, and that's didn't one know thing. what a route tree was when he got here. Exactly, and that's a, a big problem, but you never know how guys are going to adjust because that's a lot of college offenses where you look over at the sideline and they're holding up a picture of a beaver and that means something <laughs> to you, right? Yes. It's just like it is not the National Football League at all, and it's very hard to evaluate that position because of it um and when i looked at matt Harmon as a guy who's come on the show before from yahoo sports and he does a, a thing called reception perception where he tracks every route of college wide receivers and nfl wide receivers because he's crazy but it's amazing stuff mm-hmm. and his tracking on laquan treadwell all came out that those routes he ran well and had a lot of success on them on on a on more routes than just running straight down the field and jumping up to get it and his numbers were spectacular. I don't know. I kind of look at it as when you're drafting a late-round wide receiver, we've seen this from a ton of different teams, you just don't really know if it's going to work out or not. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Like There's a reason that it's a late first-round guy because he's got some serious flaws, and sometimes you just swing and miss. I can't look at this and go, oh, man, Vikings should have seen that one coming, should have grabbed Michael Thomas. Because at the time, they needed a wide receiver, it seemed. They didn't know about Adam Thielen yet. And they grabbed the best one that was there, according to pretty much everyone who studied the draft. I'd be curious to go back, because we talk about the Michael Thomas thing all the time. I mean, he talks about it. I loved when he sent that tweet out about like just publicly shaming Laquan Treadwell. Um it was a few months ago. It was right around the time of the draft. It was very funny. Um, you can play revisionist history all you want with it. There were signs that pointed to him not being ready at the to play at this level, um, yep. or at least worth a first-round pick to where he was drafted. Um, and there's a reason since that they haven't done it. Like, you know, they haven't drafted a receiver in the first round. Granted, for need... But I don't think that they're going. I think they might not follow that same path that they did three years, uh, you know, going on four years ago now. So, uh, or four drafts ago. So the way that I look at it, they're everybody's kind of at fault here. I mean, you could have looked at a lot of things, like his forty time that he ran at Ole Miss. Because um, correct me if I'm wrong, did he not run the forty at the combine? Uh, I believe. Well, was I, got, it, I, I know he have ran his page one. up right here. He, he ran um, one at the at his pro day, and it was terrible. It was terrible. It was like I, a four seven. Yeah. He did not run a, com- a combine forty because of the leg injury yes. that he had at Ole Miss, and that I think was the biggest indicator. Like that was a serious, serious injury. He broke his leg. Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying you know because I covered him in the early part of his career. There's freshman year to his to right through his junior season because I wasn't there during his draft process. I had already moved on to California. But I remember talking to people being like, is he going to even come back the same player? And there was that concern because he didn't have great separation to begin with um, against other these, – these SEC defensive backs are good, but you still are playing a majority of guys that you're just trucking them. And he yeah. would do that yep. a lot. And he used to get himself in trouble with Hugh Freeze for that. Um, he didn't have to create the separation because he was just bigger than everybody. And you just throw yep. it up, he catches it on the sideline, he looks like Odell Beckham, and everybody's freaking out. Like, oh, wow, this is a really, really, really talented uh, player. And um, I don't know. I think that there's something to be said about the Vikings really swinging and missing here and it being on th- their fault because of what the you know what analysts are saying, what you know the, the word from Oxford was about this guy that, there were going to be flaws that you could not 
hide at the NFL level, but I also think they had a need. And as you, you, you know, the Michael Thomas argument will always be one that's really interesting. And I'd be curious to go back to see why, what Michael, what they were saying about Michael Thomas then and why he wasn't, you know, higher than where he was projected in the second round and where he went. So I have Laquan Treadwell's draft profile from NFL.com in front of me. And I will tell you, we know this from Dylan Mitchell, that uh, they don't pull punches. No, they, they, they are not very kind. <laughs> they're not always the nicest. Like Lance Zierlein does an amazing job. I don't know how he finds time to do this, but it's an incredible it's work. it's a full-time job. Yeah, it is. Uh, so he writes a draft profile about everyone. And this was La- Laquan Treadwell's NFL comparison, DeAndre Hopkins. And here's what he wrote for the bottom line. Like DeAndre Hopkins, both players should be defined by their talent, ball skills, and consistency of production over pure speed numbers. Treadwell is at his best when he's got a clean two-way go off the line of scrimmage. Could be a challenging size matchup from the slot. Now, he hasn't really gotten that opportunity, but what that tells you right there is he was a first-round pick through everyone uh, who studies the draft. The scout that's quoted says, hey, people overestimate the speed. He's compared to DeAndre Hopkins. I have a really tough time when that's the information that you have at the moment saying, puh, blew that one, Vikings. I don't like to give them too much credit for finding Adam Thielen. That's a lucky break for finding Stephon Diggs. It's a lucky break. If you knew Stephon Diggs was that great, you would have drafted him the first. first right? You didn't know that either. You got lucky. So if I think that the fifth-round picks who work out are lucky, then I'm going to say the first-round picks that don't are also just bad luck. And I think it was in Laquan Treadwell's case. But there were there were signs that pointed to this. Like I know what there, I, I know there were, but I can't find anyone it, who didn't think he was a first-round pick. In what you know, if you're being compared to DeAndre Hopkins, then that sh- I mean that says something. But the. I just, you know, the, the 40 time to me still is still very glaring for your wide receiver. It wasn't just a bad one. It was a really bad one. And then on top of that, like, watch how they play offense in the SEC at Ole Miss. Like, what Hugh Freeze was doing was just, like, you, I think it, uh, Chad Kelly was his quarterback at the time. It's just, you know, Bo Wallace was his quarterback, actually. Uh, just run, run, truck the guy, and catch the ball. That's what he used to do. He used to run a ton of go routes. Like, he, the fact that he didn't know what a route tree was, and I remember talking to Hugh Freeze when I was doing my year three Laquan story, which I said I would never do in year four, huh. just to appease you and myself and my sanity. Um, they don't have route trees at Ole Miss. Like, they don't talk about it like that. Um, I don't know if other schools are the same way. Like, it's just truly like, we're not doing this, but... His football IQ was incredibly low, and mm-hmm. I, you would think you'd pick that up in interviews at the combine, don't you think? Like I would, I that's the first place my brain goes. You know, I actually asked Mike Zimmer about that last year, and he said that it goes both ways a lot of times. I mean, he said you sit in those interviews, and sometimes you think some guy is so smart, understands the game, but then you get out there and he can't process, or you think some guy isn't that smart, and he ends up being able to pick it up. I mean, that's why I'm saying, and we talked to Mike Renner about this just yesterday, about wide receivers and why they're so hard, is it's so different that you just don't really know how it's going to translate. And I can't get myself to a place where I say, how how dare you draft this guy late first? If they had the third overall pick and they selected a guy who ran a four six five, okay, I, I get that. But if you're talking about late first, I mean, that's just the land of bust wide receivers. So anyway, let's let's take a break. And when we come back, we got to talk about your article with Mike Zimmer. You went down to the ranch. You spent time. I believe you shot clay pigeons. I did. With Mike Zimmer. I got Zimmer. one. You I got, got one. one. Okay. Uh, so we will discuss when we return. Feel free to uh, send us a tweet, Courtney R. Cronin, at Matthew Collar, if you have a thought on whether the Vikings made a mistake with Laquan Treadwell or just got a bad break. Uh, let us know. We'll be right back. Here you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Welcome back to Score North, Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And uh, ESPN, Courtney, sent you down to Mike Zimmer's ranch in northern Kentucky along with uh, a videographer to take video of you shooting clay pigeons. That was and... actually Bob Hagen, PR oh, it was? extraordinaire okay. of the Vikings. All right, so... uh, but we did have a photographer who did a tremendous job. Her photos are beautiful. So you went down there, you hung out with Zimmer for a few days to find out kind of how he spends his time as he's ramping up before the NFL season begins. So tell me what you discovered about Mike Zimmer that you didn't already know before you went to northern Kentucky. Well, I think the biggest thing that I was going in there trying to figure out is 
you know, he's he's going into what could be the most pivotal year of his career. Um, right now, things are looking really good in training camp, and there's no hot seat talk. But f- rewind a couple months. We're talking about, man, if they don't get this right, uh, is Mike Zimmer, is, is Rick Spielman, will they be out of a job? So with that kind of str- like pressure, I wanted to figure out what does Mike Zimmer do in the offseason to try to really unplug from this whole thing. So I went down there on a Tuesday, um, and it was real hot. So, I mean, it was one of those, like, sticky middle-of-July days where all you want to do is sit out on the porch and just hang out. So where do I find him? Sitting on the porch, hanging out in the backyard. Um, and it was just, he's relaxed. Like, to, to see him in that environment, which is such a rare thing for journalists, um, to get somebody who has their guard down, more, you know, I wouldn't say completely, but he definitely um, was more open about things than I think he would be in the middle of the season. Like, the, my biggest takeaway from that article is what we talked about there at the end. Because um, there have been times, you know, before where he's talked about getting fired and just that pressure. And you can tell he kind of is at a sense of peace with himself that maybe he wasn't, he w- didn't have at other points of his career. I mean, think about everything this guy has been through in Minnesota over the last you know, five seasons, now he's going into his six. Like, losing his quarterback, losing his offense, multiple offensive coordinators. Most of his vision in one eye. Yeah, his eye. I mean, it's literally been chaos at every single turn, and yet he's still standing. He's never been fired from a job, so I don't know why. It's like one thing I thought was really interesting. Um, You know, he's he's never been fired, but why is that still such a concern? Because that was kind of the whole notion of buying the place. He didn't want to buy it initially, because uh, he kept worrying about, well, you know, what if we're not here next year? God, I got to sell the place. Got to go through the whole hassle of that. And his wife was basically like, cut the crap. Just <laughs> buy it. Like, do what you want to do that's going to make you happy. Um, and Vicky, his wife, had passed away uh, in 2009, so she never got to see this place. Uh, he bought the land initially in 2013 uh, when he was in his last year with the Bengals as a defensive coordinator. And then four months later, he gets hired here. So he's like... The house was not built yet. They hadn't laid the foundation, but he said, I'm going to keep it. I bought this. I said I wanted a place to not have to call ahead and, and get on somebody else's land because that's usually what he was doing Fridays in the off season. There was a place e- an hour east of Cincinnati he'd drive to and hunt on somebody's land. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I don't want to do that. I want to wake up. I want to take the ATV out when I want to do it. I want to go shoot my clay pigeons. I want to go <laughs> hunt deer, sit in the deer stand. Um, I think it was really cool. He and his daughter, Corey, uh, she was relaying a story to me about how they she brought mimosas out one time and they just hung out and drank in the deer stand and just waited for, you know, having a nice Sunday morning uh, in the deer stand. So it's his refuge. And that's a really cool thing to get to see as a journalist, because I never um, you never see that with Mike Zimmer. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's somebody who's so locked in. And, you know, I think the thing that I really wanted to know is how much can you really get away from football? Because it's never truly that far away. Sure. And he seems like someone who doesn't really ever want to be far away from it. Uh, no. Including that he brings the iPad into the deer stand so he can grind tape and that's also hunt during deer. the season. Oh, like, okay. And that and I made a point about that. Like, you know, he had I asked him when we were down there because he has two massive TVs in the living room, like one over the bar that he had made, um, and it's kind of like what you'd see at like a sports bar, four TVs into one, and then he's got a really really big one to the right. And I asked him, I was like, so you know, do you watch movies? You hang out? He's like, TVs haven't been on for two weeks. Like, so he was texting Adam Zimmer, his son, uh, what's you know, who's winning the major golf tournaments? Uh, how are the twins doing? Like, he was keeping up with it that way because he was truly unplugging. Um, and as far as like grinding tape, <laughs> there were a couple players that they were considering in the supplemental draft that somebody's like, hey, can you watch this? You'll tell us what you think about that guy. That's all he did. Mm. Um, but during the season, he'll go there during the bye week, which is where when he'll bring the, the iPad into the deer stand, which I think is fun. Let's, cool circle, let's circle back to your point about um, getting fired with Mike Zimmer because he has brought it up no less than a dozen times since I've been here in 2016 including once where he was really angry at a couple of reporters um, about looking at something in practice he didn't want them seeing. And he was talking about, this is after he's coming off an 11-5 season, uh, about, you know, if I lose these games, you guys are going to get me fired and that sort of thing. And he's mentioned it in the Sports Illustrated article, I think, last year, about how he's terrified to get fired and everything else. 
And I think that's the life of an NFL coach is always thinking when could be the end for you. I mean, in 2007, he went through something crazy that I wrote about earlier this offseason uh, where Michael Vick gets arrested, Bobby Petrino leaves the team, and his defense, as you would expect, was tremendously bad. <laughs> and, you know, at that point, it's like his career could have been over, and instead it goes the exact opposite direction. He becomes Cincinnati's defensive coordinator. He gets a head coaching job and has been one of the more successful head coaches since then. So it it actually always took me aback just how afraid he was of getting fired because you really have no control over it. And he told us at the Combine two years ago, he said, yep. if we pick the wrong quarterback, quarterback I'm fired. fired. And he's exactly right. I mean, if this doesn't go well for Kirk Cousins, he's out. And and there's nothing that he can necessarily do about it, but I think it takes you inside the mind of anyone who works in this league knowing that their dream jobs are always tenuous. Yeah, and I, and I want to bring up a quote from the story because um, I was curious too because we hear, hear him talk about it all the time and it's like, well, Mike, you've never been fired. like, But guys around you, it's the not-for-long league. It's... You know, there, there's reason to believe that you could always be next. It's like the Grim Reapers just kind of like waiting in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he, the way that I walked away from that is I'm at peace right now. And maybe it's just the environment that he's in. He's comfortable down there. Maybe it's realizing his track record speaks for itself. I mean, um, it's in there at parts of my article, but like he, we talked, you know, he has no problem flexing on people to let you know. I'm the third most winningest coach in Vikings history. The two others ahead of me have their names in the stadium. Like, you know, he's he's confident in what he's done. He's had top defenses his entire time he's been here, two division uh, you know, division wins or winning the winning the division, uh NFC championship uh appearance in 2017. He's done good. Like, and I know some of the fans don't think that is kind of what he was saying, but the part that uh, I want to read. It's like, I don't want to get fired. I want to coach the Vikings for the rest of my life if I can. But, and if I, and if I did get fired, I don't know if I'd coach anymore or not. But I know I've had people call me and say, quote, if anything ever happens, I'll hire you in a minute. So I'm not afraid of not being able to get a job if that's what I want to do. And maybe somebody would want me as a head coach again. I don't know. Um, so to me, it's kind of like, go ahead and fire me. I will end up fine. That's like, he's at peace. He's not like tripping on anything right now, in my opinion. Just from talking to him, he seems very much like, okay, I'm going to go down with the ship either way in, in 2019 because, yes, they did pick up his option for 2020, but they could fire him if things go bad this year. But he's very much at peace. He's not like super aggressive about this. And, yes, this could just be him in the off season. but to hear him kind of voice it like this, like, go ahead, fire me. Maybe well, the next guy will do better. Well, that's, like, that, that would be my thought is it's very easy on a relaxed, hot afternoon in northern Kentucky to feel that way. But we've seen Zimmer when things get tense. And sometimes, especially in the two years where they didn't make the playoffs, I think you could point to maybe if he had handled some situations better that they would have made the playoffs in both of those years because it's very easy to say. And, and, and we've seen him in relaxed environments, even around TCO Performance Center, where it, it, you know he's a different guy than the tense Week 8 Mike Zimmer who is on edge and wants his offensive coordinator fired. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's just... I, I think it's one of those like easy to say then, but we'll see how that works out. Sure. And, and that might ultimately end up defining him if they miss the playoffs again it, and he has the same issues as he had last year. And we'll see. Maybe Kubiak's here to make sure that doesn't happen. But if it happens three times in his time in Minnesota that things get hairy and he gets tense and makes a mistake or uh, I, I think him getting all over Kirk Cousins about the turnovers was an issue. I think him getting all over Filippo was an issue. And if it happens again, that will be what we ultimately talk about is this guy was a defensive genius and a great head coach overall. But every time there was the pressure on for the most part, he ended up not being able to handle some type of situation, whether it was the offensive coordinator or whether it was the locker room in 2016, whatever it might be. So if this is really a different mindset for him, that could be a huge benefit for the Vikings when things get tough this I year. just feel like we've never heard him voice it like this, uh, where he kind of has the whole, I wouldn't say it's nonchalant or blasé, but 
he seems very okay with himself right now and okay with his place in life and in his um you know his career and where he's at right now because yeah it, things could go very wrong and very poorly this year and he might be out of a job but he seems to to at least have the notion of I'll be okay at the end of the day like I'm not so paranoid about getting fired that it's going to you know, constantly be lurking. Like, because sometimes I think that you overthink things if, you know, if you go about it that way where you're constantly thinking about getting fired. And Totally, you know, yeah. He, he said, he's like, I don't want to get fired. I want to coach here forever. Like, that would be the easiest way. Let him ride into the sunset, coach a few more years, and then he can retire. But, you know, the stuff that bothered him coming out of last season is why he's coming into this season just so, like, you know, he wants to prove people wrong. I haven't also heard him say that either. Like, where he actually was, like, legitimately irked by what people were saying, really, Mike Florio, uh, the rumors that spread about uh, he's going to retire, he's going to yeah. quit, et yeah, cetera, et cetera. That. Um, that stuck with him, and it still does. That stuff really irritated him. Um, and he wants to prove people wrong, so he kind of has this own chip on his shoulder. It's not that, hey, we went 8-7-1. and one. It's, you're talking about me and my career and my longevity, and I want to show you that, like, no, I'm not going to lay down and die. I'm going to come here and I'm going to kick everybody's butt. And, and that's where he's at. So um, it was a nice, relaxed version of Zimmer. But also, he still kind of got the even there. He still kind of got that fire. But mm-hmm. I think as it all kind of comes full circle, like, you know, Vicky, his wife, told him, buy some place that you want. Like, buy, be happy. Like, just pull the trigger. Just do it. And this is kind of exactly what she would want him to, to be like. You can kind of infer that just from the stories that you hear about how she was an influencer behind doing this or an influencing force. Um, you know, be at peace. Be at peace with the place. Be at peace with yourself. And I, and I think he was when we were talking. Okay, one word answer here, and we'll wrap up the segment and then come back and, and finish it up. If the Vikings go 8-8 eight and eight and do not make the playoffs, does Mike Zimmer have a job in 2020? I don't believe so. Actually, no was a one-word yeah, answer. one-word answer. I don't, I don't think so either. I don't think, so. um, but I think, I don't it's think Rick a, Spielman has a job either. It's a very tough situation for ownership to evaluate because, like you said, Zimmer is one of the winningest coaches uh, in the NFL. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We will wrap up the show here for today as we march ever closer to another preseason game here. Uh, you are listening to Purple Daily on Score North. 3.43 here at Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. This download brought to you by My Pillow, something you can download from us. It's called Minnesota Sports Rewind. It's a podcast where Score North goes back in time and dives deep into some of the most prominent moments in Minnesota sports history, including Twins and Tigers, Game 163, Twins and A's from the 2002 ALDS, some Wolves-related ones, Kevin Love's 30-30 and 30 game and Kevin Garnett's dominating Game 7 against Sacramento. Again, that's called Minnesota Sports Rewind on scorenorth.com, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to the final segment today of Purple Daily. All right, final segment of the day here. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And, uh, Courtney, we had a chance to listen to Gary Kubiak at the podium today. And uh, Gary has some experience at that podium. He's just slick. Gary he's, he's an OG. Such, he's so good. He answers questions. He, you know... He just makes you feel like you're asking a good question. He likes to go into detail. I love me some Gary Kubiak at the podium. All right. So what did we take away from Mr. Kubiak at the podium? Well, I think the way that the offense is executing um, in in really diving into little areas like run blocking. Um, I asked a question about the tight ends and just how David Morgan, since he's out, like, I mean, he's one of the best run blocking tight ends when he's healthy, how they're replicating that among their other guys. And are they encouraged to see, you know, we know Kyle Rudolph's an okay run blocker. I think Gary called him a great one. Um, he's, he's okay. He's good. No, he's good. um, I'm, I'm going to go that he's not, but why would you ever say that he wasn't? If you're Gary, you're not going to be like, yeah, <laughs> you know, we got Morgan and Rudolph. Don't let him block. Um, but the biggest takeaway, I think, is just how he said he was surprised by Irv Smith yeah. a little bit. Like, he, you know, a week ago he's saying he's swimming, um, and, and it's just a lot of stuff to, to just to process. But uh, how he blocked in that first game against the Saints seemed to really leave a lasting impression on Gary Kubiak and the rest of the offensive coaching staff that they've that he's getting it. It's clicking. Um, and they didn't ex- I mean, look at him. Like he was, he's six, four, 250, 242 pounds, something like that. Who are we like, talking about? Irv Smith. Oh, Irv Smith. Um, like, 
Let's see how. I'm gonna say shorter and a little lighter than that. Yeah, like I mean, so regardless, like the point of that is they weren't expecting him to come in and be an effective run blocker, like that it was gonna take some time. Like six two two forty. Okay. Like I thought he was a little taller, but anyway. But, but you're right. The, you know, the expectation. He's one of the smaller tight ends in the NFL right now, so the expectation was that he was not gonna be able to block at all. Mm-hmm. And that's I think like, really important to note. Um, just how much progress he's made because he's not just going to always be lined up in the slot or outside or as an H-back. Like, he's going to have to, you know, he's not just going to be catching passes. He has to do the other part of the tight end job, which is blocking. So, I mean, that's going to be really important to see how that translates, um, how they might use him to chip on a defensive end mm-hmm. or, you know, he's not, hopefully not like last year in Chicago when Kyle Rudolph got left one-on-one with Khalil Mack, like things like that. Um, you know, it's just seeing how they can use him and in, in get him some help, too, when he's out there. I thought it was interesting that uh, when, well, I don't know if you asked the question or whoever asked the question about um, Irv Smith, his head swimming and so forth, which was what Kubiak had said before. And Gary did not um, circle back and say, well, no, he's made huge strides since I said that. Yeah. Gary was kind of like, yeah, well, we're asking him a lot. And I, mean, it's, it's, I still think that's going to be the case. It's not a plug-and-play position. Like you, Offensive line isn't a plug-and-play position for the most part. Like For Garrett Bradbury and Irv Smith, they're kind of expected to be plug-and-play players, like yep. we talked about on the show yesterday. But it's not feasible to think it's automatically going to happen right away. So I think it is a very encouraging sign to see with this offense um, – Herb Smith's blocking usage, like the usage of what they're going to do with him in those circumstances. Now going into the Seattle game, Seattle, right? Yeah, sure. Um, There's definitely I'm, another team that will be playing on Sunday here on night. Sunday. Uh, I'm very I'm certain curi- of that. I'm very curious to see just how they use Herb Smith in the passing game a little bit more. Maybe throwing him over the middle, um, you know, as a big body threat for Kirk Cousins. Let's see. Let's see how they use him. Yeah, because we saw Irv Smith get targeted, but not a whole lot yeah. of success in the first preseason game. I don't know how much to take away from that in practice. He has had up and down days, I would say. Um, there are times where I've noticed him, but there are other times where I haven't at all. Yeah. And as far as his blocking ability in practice and stuff, if, it's if hard to tell. Right. If you're going to pretend you know, then okay. I mean, good for you, but. I mean, I don't. I'm standing on the sideline. It's hard to see. I mean, even if you were perched above, like, to, to really tell, like, did he nail his assignment? Well, right, because we don't know what it's supposed to be. We, yes. I mean, we can only tell if he's getting shredded by someone on a consistent basis. But um, when the lights are really on, I'm going to be interested to see how he does block. The other thing that stuck out to me is what Kubiak said about uh, Delvin Cook and his mm-hmm. workload. Of course, as coaches do, this has to be a secret, whether he's going to play in the preseason or not, Courtney. We couldn't possibly reveal whether Delvin Cook will play against the Cardinals in the third preseason game. Um, Maybe he'll play against Seattle a little bit. But when he talked about Delvin Cook coming off the field and wanting to maintain the same pace of play, I I wonder how much we will see Alexander Madison in regular season games, considering that he has had a very good camp. Yeah, and uh, Amir Abdullah. I mean, those are the two guys by name that Koobs mentioned. Um, I mean, he said, like, Matt and uh, Amir need to... There can't be a drop-off. Like, it can't just be, okay, let's survive. That was my big thing. He Like, using the word, like, let's just get by until we can get, you know, get Dalvin Cook a blow, get him back out there. Um, you know, they need to have a consistent non-drop-off. And that's what they had, really, when Latavius Murray was here. So... When are they going to do that? When is when are what's the workload going to look like for Dalvin Cook? Because if it's twenty five touches, it's not necessarily twenty five rushes. It could be some. You know, he could be involved in the passing game. He could be a decoy. I mean, there's you know there's a lot that goes into his workload, um, and also trying to mitigate kind of the, the stress that you put on his body. Because yes, as Gary mentioned, he's a, he's a three down back. You're not going to use him like a three down back though. Not here. I mean, not when you have a running back room that's that versatile. Yeah, I, I think. We could be in a situation where it'll be decided very early how that's going to go. Because if they use Madison or if they use Abdullah to give Delvin Cook um, a possession off or something like that, and it doesn't go well, Mm -hmm. that we... I mean, I think Mike Zimmer is in charge of everything, ultimately. Even if Gary Kubiak has uh, a lot of power here. And if it doesn't go well, we're going to see Mike Zimmer say... 
just keep running Delvin Cook? Because we heard this a few years ago when they had Jarek McKinnon, they had Latavius Murray, and in those first four games, we just saw Delvin, Delvin, Delvin for almost every single uh, possession yeah. that they had. So, and I mean, granted, Latavius was coming off an injury. Sure. Um, and, and then, you know, Latavius turns out to be a very good running back, and McKinnon was very helpful. But those early days of the season, it was, well, Delvin's the more talented guy. We're going to be giving him the mm-hmm. ball. Um, uh, anything else from Gary Kubiak's press conference before we wrap things up? He was here? really impressed with Kirk Cousins on that uh, third down scramble. Um, and I remember last year implicitly, John Filippo said in a press conference that they have a, one of their goals for quarterbacks is get a first down with your legs every single game. Kirk is not exactly the most mobile. I know that Gary was talking about, yeah, once he you know escapes the pocket, gets out of there, I'm like, well, we don't see it that often. Um, at the goal line, he's great with that, actually. I mean, he, he can be a threat. He's just not – defenses are not like, you know, if they're playing match coverage or if they're playing man, like, they're not expecting Kirk on third down to run all that much. Like, he's just never – he's like Matt Ryan. He doesn't pose a big threat as a mobile quarterback. So – I think that the fact that they're kind of trying to force him into that role a little bit, or at least put him in, in a position for that, is a good thing. It's just, can he do it regularly? Because I think it's it's not going to be an every game thing, as Gary said. He was astoundingly bad at running last year. I mean, worst in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, and that hasn't always been the case. His touchdowns, running touchdowns, in 2015-5, in 2016-17, and 4-4, four and, four, and then mm-hmm. last year, just the one where they ran the read option type of play, and he ran for a total of 123 yards. He had run for 179 the year before, so he does have the capability to do this, but he uh, just didn't seem to have the confidence or the looks or whatever it might be, and that's the one thing that Gary Kubiak is going to be the most tasked with, and he talked about it. Sage and I had a good conversation about it earlier today, just... The sacks will ruin drives for you. And if Cousins is getting sacked a lot and uh, get a lot of pressure that he brings on himself, there's a lot of bad things that can happen in that case. And so Brian O'Neill is still injured, still not practicing today. Yeah. And you start to wonder, okay, uh, it doesn't look like a season-ending injury or anything, but okay, if he's got to miss a little time, we know offensive linemen will get dinged up. This isn't going to go super, super well on the offensive line. Maybe better, but not super, super well. So I think it's on Gary Kubiak almost entirely to look at what Kirk Cousins can do, whether it might mean running the ball occasionally on third down or whatever else, and find ways to save him from himself. That That's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, because he, he's still going to be the guy that drops back and holds on to the ball too long. Like, there's there's a reason he incurred as many sacks as he did last year beyond the offensive line having problems. But if they're going to require him kind of on and some of those third downs to maybe catch a team off, like catch a team by surprise, I don't think that's the worst place to put him in. No, I don't think so either. Let's uh, just real quick here run through some players that we're watching because tomorrow we'll have Sage and and Myron Metcalf. So get in your final thoughts here before the preseason game. Give me three guys, let's put it this way, under pressure as we go into the second. Not the all-important. No. That's the third. This is the second. I just want to make sure everyone's got that clear. The third is the all-important. I would say under pressure. Um... Under pressure. That's where I was going. Uh, I need one of these young cornerbacks to step up, whoever it is. If Chris Boyd's healthy, then it needs to be him. Um, Because, you know, there's just so many question marks with the depth they have of these rookie guys. The Duke Thomases, the, you know, Nate Meters, the Craig James. Like, I would love to see Craig James have a good game. That would be nice for somebody to separate themselves. So that's kind of one position group. Um, I'd say the pressure's probably on Chad Beebe at some point. Like, oh, really? Well, okay. Well, I'd like Interesting. To see, I'd like to see him play. Like, we can't just cement him into the number three role. But he just he didn't really play the other night. I think because he's so far ahead for number three. Yeah, let's see him though. Let's let's see let's see like calling well, out Chad Beebe. Yeah, not in a bad way. I just want to see him play a little bit, and then probably uh, Amir Abdullah. Let's put some pressure on him so he doesn't fumble. <laughs> no, I know that fumble the other night. I mean, it egregious. It, it is one of those where you would say. It's not something that's going to happen all the time where a guy just drops the ball for no apparent reason well, with no one on, around guy. him. Like, you know you don't switch arms with the ball into unless you're at the sideline. Yeah. So you can if you're, you're going to fumble, it's going to go out of bounds. Like I'm going to go with somebody that uh, 
Mr. Kubiak talked about at the, I'm going to call him Mr. Kubiak, Mr. Kubiak. Uh, at the um, press conference today, which was Brandon Zilstra, sure. who he said has looked better and better since he's come back from his injury, and he's got a shot. We talked about it a little bit earlier with the Treadwell conversation, but he has a legitimate shot to be on this team and be someone that can occasionally come in the game, make plays, and be another good story for this receiver room for sure. But if he doesn't step up and do something, then we're going to be talking about other guys making the team. Yeah, I agree. I think that he, last year we kind of had the same story with Brandon and Camp. I don't think he was dealing with an injury. Um, but now it's like, okay, you have to do something in these preseason games. Like You can't just like rely on what you did in such minimal capacity last year. Um is it going to be on special teams? Is it going to be as a receiver? I think there's a big window of opportunity for him here in the second preseason game that he needs to capitalize on. Yeah, um, so that's one. And you got any defensive players? Well, I mean, you took a whole position group away, yeah, so I think that was kind of unfair. Uh, but I will say this, that Jalen Holmes is on the team. And he's going to have a role. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Is he going to line up in the right place? But Hercules Mata'afa is still, to me, very much on the bubble because he did okay on a few plays, but Mike Zimmer refused to rave about Hercules Mata'afa's play. And he got in the backfield a couple times. Zimmer said he did okay against the run. And I saw a little bit of a flash there, but we were talking about a lot of that flash against the second team. In training camp, he hasn't been super impressive or anything like that, um, but there might be some potential there as somebody who's kind of a gamer and might be able to to slide in. Him and Jaleel Johnson, I think, need to step up a little bit more. But I would put Mata'afa as a guy under pressure because I don't think he's a complete 100% lock for even making the team. I, I mean, at this point, I think he would make the team, but... Uh, he'll have to step up and perform well because Linval Joseph's going to come back and Shamar Stefan's back, and that just pushes you farther and farther down that line. And I don't know if they're going to want to cut Armin Watts, who is their sixth-round pick. Mm-hmm. And so that leaves you with very little room there um, to work with. And I would also just say probably Dakota Dozier, which I know, I mean... We're you're, get, you're going like we're second, deep third here. team offensive deep. line. Okay, But se- second team... But there is the potential that he won't be if he plays as poorly as he does the, well, as what he about did the Drew, other night. Drew Samia? Well, that, that's that, another guy. That's what I'm looking at. Is the, like one of those two guys going to have that backup position? But who's it going to be? It's been Dozier through the entire camp. But if he plays poorly again, it might be Samia. Yeah. So there you have it. All right. Thank you for your time, Courtney. Um, thank you all for listening. As always, here to Purple Daily. Coming up next, it is Mackie and Judd with Rami. Tomorrow we'll have Myron Metcalf. We will have Sage Rosenfels. So if you missed any of the show, download the free Score North app or uh, check it out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we'll catch you tomorrow here on Purple Daily. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.